Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. At approximately 1,300 acres, Forest Park is one of the largest urban parks in the United States. Despite being smack dab in the center of St. Louis, the park is home to mammals such as mink, fox, deer, coyote, and many species of birds, including great horned owls. One particular owl, Charles, is a local celebrity. Charles was named by naturalist Mark H.X. Glenshaw, who boosted the owl into stardom by documenting his habits for the past 17 years. Mark visits Charles in Forest Park as often as six or seven days a week, and many nights, he hosts owl prowls, giving everyday people the chance to observe Charles and learn about his life in Forest Park. Our producer, Emily Woodbury, joined Mark for one such prowl. And this hour, she takes us along for the ride. I'm sorry we picked a, such an ugly first day of spring to do this. <laughs> it is gorgeous today. It's going to rain for the next three days. On the evening of this year's spring equinox in March, I meet Mark in Forest Park. It's sunny in the lower 50 degrees, and we see insects coming out of hibernation for the first time. We hear bird calls in the trees above and the park trails are full of visitors. Mark hands me a pair of binoculars and shares some tips on spotting great horned owls in the trees. There are about 47,000 trees in Forest Park, and the feathers of great horned owls provide excellent camouflage. So the mental search image that you want to start to form in your mind is not of an owl, but of the owl's shape. And I'll never forget an owl prowl I led several years ago where It was just me and this one very nice lady, and she needed a little extra time to find the owl. When she finally did see the owl, she said, oh my gosh, he looks like a big pine cone. And I said, yes, brilliant, write that down, because that's what they look for. So they have that vertical, conical pine cone shape. And if you look at tree branches, it doesn't matter the size of the tree or the branch. Tree branches mostly go out horizontally or at an angle. Well, the owls stand up nice and tall for the most part, and with that pine cone shape, they contrast with the horizontal or angular branch. So we want to look for not only the shape, but that shape jumping off of something horizontal or vertical. I'm excited to learn how Charles is doing. I've been following Mark's updates on social media for years, but this is my first owl prowl. A few years ago, Charles's longtime partner, Sarah, died of natural causes. Then, another owl took Sarah's place, only to be chased away by a more aggressive owl, who Mark named Samantha, after a Sex in the City character. Samantha was Charles's mate for almost three years, until she died of a bacterial infection. Mark was glad to see Charles get along with a new mate, Virginia, this past fall. Virginia and Charles even prepared a nest together. But Christmas Eve was the last time Mark saw Virginia. She died. And it's very sad and very unfortunate because not only did she die, but she was incubating eggs. And with her death, the eggs did not 
make it to fruition. They did not hatch because not only do they have to be incubated, they have to be rotated. And only the female does that. So very much a double whammy. And knowing that she died is based not only on not seeing her for now uh, almost three months, but the fact that very early on in her absence, we saw Charles deliver food to the nest as he normally would and call, call, call at the nest, in the nest with no response from her. And a female would usually be quite vocal, quite chatty in such moments. And that, that was December 30th. And then several days after that, what underlined this very sadly was that Charles went to the nest and took food out of the nest, which he would not be doing if there was a viable, healthy mate and viable, healthy eggs. And so based on how Charles was acting, I mean, trying to figure out what happened to Virginia, it's, is it safe to say she probably was not in the nest? Because then Charles would know not to leave food there. Well, the fact that he delivered food and called so intently indicates that she probably was still in the nest. And we've wanted to take a look at the nest, but have not been able to do so because we have not wanted to disturb him. And he's often been perching or roosting very close to the nest. So our fundamental underlining and hyperlining thing is we're here as visitors in their home. We need to be good guests. And 13 million people a year come to the Forest Park, but no matter what people do in the park, we all end our time here in the same way. We pack up and go home. So it's very much sort of like the Hippocratic Oath, and first do no harm. So if Charles ends up spending more time away from the nest, Maybe we can get a look, but with so much time that has gone by, there would be very little to see. And he's also been still recently even been storing food in the nest. So does Charles, he doesn't live in that nest. He just visits it and now uses it as a food storage locker? Excellent question. Nest, as a noun and a verb, you want to use very precisely. It means for bird, where they lay eggs, incubate eggs, where the eggs hatch and the babies live until they undergo a process called fledging, which is the process of leaving the nest. So where Charles and or his mates sleep outside of that time is a perch or roost site. And the male doesn't spend time in the nest with the nesting female, sometimes very close to the nest, sometimes in the general nest structure, but not there with the eggs. So what has Charles been up to since Virginia's disappearance? Mostly advertising for a new mate, but also courting with a new female. And this new female we first saw actually on that day when he delivered prey and Virginia was not responding, December 30th. And this has been a, a fascinating courtship process to watch. And very excitedly, in the last several days, the female has been spending time very consistently in the core of Charles's territory. 
and that's very exciting so i'm at a key point now where i can say that yes they are a pair charles has a new mate the window for mating and nesting has closed but hopefully they will be building up to next year and you mentioned you know that charles has been advertising in this courtship do we know what that sounds like what that looks like yes it involves mostly him calling for a male it's about three to six long deep notes very much like a french horn and what's fascinating is that the female hoot is different and not only that the hoot of each individual owl just like our voices is unique and charles has not only been hooting but he's also been going to the nest and showing her the nest calling from the nest which is essentially an owl version of saying, hi, I've repainted the baby's room. I've bought the ring. I want to meet your parents. I'm very serious. I'm not playing around. And I believe it was you who gave Charles his name, right? Yes. I named Charles. I've named the mates. I've named the owlets. I named the uh, trees and groups of trees that they use consistently. Every once in a while I get a little pushback. Well, why do you get to name the owls and the babies and the trees? I think I've earned it. You got the blog. <laughs> I had the blog. I've been doing this 17 years. I'm out here over 300 nights a year. Yeah, I, even in, after the first few years, I was like, okay, there's no one doing this quite as much as me. That, that has changed over the years as well. But still, yeah. Does this new mate have a name? I am now not only ready to make the call that they are a pair, but I've been working on a new name, and that's that's also gotten tricky with seven mates who want good, interesting, distinct names, and I'm naming this female Tess. We are walking through Forest Park in late March. I'm with Mark H.X. Glenshaw, a naturalist who's been studying Charles and the other great horned owls here in Forest Park for 17 years. So yes, we are looking for Charles and he's a male great horned owl. And great horned owls, their name is helpful and confusing. The first word is very helpful. Great means beautiful, powerful, and large and great horned owls. You're never gonna find an ugly one. Charles is an especially gorgeous great horned owl. I say that both objectively and subjectively. I don't know who loves Charles more, human females or owl females. The ladies love Charles. And they are incredibly powerful predators and also the third tallest owl in North America, 18 to 25 inches tall. And the second heaviest owl in North America, two to five pounds. And Charles is right behind us. Oh my gosh, there he is. Midway through the six o'clock hour, the sun is still out and Charles is slowly waking up. You can see his eyes get heavy as he dozes in and out of sleep. Look at that. Look at that. So beautiful. So amazing. He does some grooming, cleaning his back with his bill and his head with his talons. I don't know about you, and I don't want to brag, but I generally only use my toothbrush for my teeth. So he grooms different parts of his body in, with different other parts of his body. And so when he was grooming his back with his bill, again, I don't know about you, but I can't scratch my nose with my shoulder or my shoulder with my nose. 
So they have incredibly flexible necks. We have seven vertebrae in our neck. Owls have 14. Charles also does a good deal of stretching. There's another double wing stretch. Oh, there's the escalator stretch. So look at that. That's only one wing. And it looks like an escalator unfolding. When he's stretching out the wing on the same side of his body, he's also stretching out his leg and feet, his toes. As Mark and I watch Charles through our binoculars, a family with kids also spots the owl. They walk right up to the tree he's perched in. Uh, Ma'am, ma'am, way too close, way too close. Over here, please. I don't want to discourage you, just want you to be safe, the owl to be safe. That guy can eat raccoons. So I have to ask, that was an interesting interaction yeah. you had right there. Um, I could kind of feel the, the papa bear protector of Charles coming out. Um, does that happen often where you have to tell people, hey, please respect their space? It doesn't happen that much. And most of the time I'm able to have uh, a slightly longer conversation, establish my bona fides and say, hi, I'm the naturalist who's been studying these owls. I just want to make sure that the owl's comfortable and that you're not at danger because all owls are predators and great horned owls are very powerful animals that eat everything from tiny little insects to raccoons to great blue herons that are twice their size they eat wild turkeys other animals most people would not mess with barehanded and sometimes even otherwise have you ever seen an owl attack a human i have seen footage of it i've never seen it in person i've seen uh charles and his mates be approached to closely by people and glare at these people in a very intense, uncomfortable uh, body postures. Uh, And even sometimes the owls will glare at me. Charles on, uh, what day was that? That was Friday. I stopped here before I went down to Carbondale. He gave me a bit of glare and I wasn't unusually close or anything like that. I was going nice and slow. But I knew from that glare that, yes, he wasn't happy with me at that place and time and moment, and I backed off. And he relaxed immediately, went back to sleep, but I thought, oh, okay. You know, you have such a relationship with Charles, and and hearing kind of an anecdote like that makes me wonder, do you think he recognizes you? That's a great question, and I think most of the time, at most, it is recognition, which I would attribute to three things. Longevity, 17 years, frequency, over 300 nights a year, and as we've been talking about, how we conduct ourselves. You know, here we are, we're in dark muted colors, we're not getting too close. I even wrap my keys in a rag so they don't jangle as much. Um, And I have had the odd moment of feeling a closer connection with Charles. But it's, I never think that it's, oh, Mark, hello, how's your mother? Yeah, how are you doing? Um, what are you doing for the holidays? At most, I think it's, okay, there's that guy who I'm used to seeing, and he's not going to annoy me, and okay. And if there is any elements of the recognition or trust or uh, things beyond that, I never take it for granted, and I try and earn and build on it every day. So you've been following Charles for at least 17 years. Um, So we know he's been here for that amount of time. Why do you think he has chosen Forest Park as his home for so long? 
Great horned owls live in almost every habitat in the Americas. Not only are they the most widespread commonly found owl in North America, they're found throughout much of Latin America. And a little exercise I do anytime I travel somewhere is I'll look out the window and I'll ask myself, could this work for a pair of great horned owls? What I'm seeing out of the window? And the answer, more often than not, is yes. Because they need some trees for perching and roosting, open areas for hunting, and places to nest. And great horned owls nest in more different spaces and places than not only any other owl in North America, they nest in more different spaces and places than any other species of bird in the Americas as a whole. So they can live almost everywhere, but as I look around Forest Park, there's, oh, that would work versus, oh, that's bloody well near perfect. I do wonder though, are there aspects of his life here that are unique because he's in such an urban environment and you know forest park is home to many events especially in the summer lots of people does that present certain challenges for him it can and sometimes people will just going back to our earlier conversation about correcting people who get too close sometimes people say well they're used to all this human activity well there's a difference between background noise and in-your-face noise and they will react negatively to human noise human presence that is too close too loud too intense but at the same time they will be very chill provided it's not in their face so they they do have some unique aspects but they're so adaptable and there's so many positive things to it that it's clear he has voted with his feet, voted with his talons, that, hey, this works really well for me. So this is a perfect chance. So we're seeing some motorbikes, ATVs uh, across the way, and I think this is a great chance to ask a question from Johan, who asks, how would Charles and the other owls in the park react to less motor traffic? And so, yeah, we have a lot of noise happening right now, but please note that Charles is fast asleep. I'm going to double check with my binoculars. Okay, now he's a little awake because they went from close to that much closer. So it's not quite in his face noise, but it's a little more like that. And the interesting thing about less vehicular noise is that it often brings more foot traffic to the park, which is just a different type of noise um so i haven't seen a huge difference in a decrease in vehicular traffic i don't think you would say no to it and we would not want to run highway 40 through forest park uh, i've actually seen them cross 40 a couple of times so i did not sleep well on the, those nights um but generally I haven't seen a big difference there. And this area is sustainable for great horned owls. But again, back to location, location, location. The park is big and at the same time finite. And we've seen other pairs of great horned owls, especially in one uh, place in the park where there's a pair right now. And in this portion of the park, we have seen other pairs of great horned owls come to that area of the park and then leave and not have young at all or not have young as successfully. So it really speaks to differences in the quality 
of different habitats, but also the quantity of habitats. Since these guys are right at the top of the food chain, they need a fair amount of space. And it's a fascinating dynamic. We're not going to talk about where the owls are in Forest Park, but Charles has been here for so long that for many years, he's called the tune and everyone else has had to dance to it. And that has changed somewhat in the last several years. But for the most part, he's still the baddest boy on the block. After spotting Charles, our next goal is to find his new mate, Tess. Mark's naturalist mentee, Daria McKelvey, who works as a horticulturist by day, was able to find Tess in a tree they call Overlook Hotel. With thousands of trees in Forest Park, they find it helpful to name the most notable ones. Now she decided to uh, find another spot, so now we gotta go track her again. Mark and I aren't able to locate Tess, but we keep track of Charles throughout the evening. That's producer Emily Woodbury, who met up with award-winning naturalist Mark Glenshaw at Forest Park in late March. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn why Mark spends so much of his free time with Charles the Great Horned Owl and why it's important to keep your pets leashed while at the park. The, The downside of the Great Horned Owls being apex predators is that they don't have a lot of friends. Because the owls say to the other animals, oh, come on over for dinner. And the other animals say, oh, what's for dinner? It's a surprise. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Today we're spending the entire show in Forest Park with naturalist Mark Glenshaw and producer Emily Woodbury. The two spent a recent spring evening walking through the park, observing the habits of a great horned owl named Charles, who's about 20 years old. Here again is Emily. About an hour and a half into our owl prowl, as the sun sets on the horizon, Charles flies right past us, gliding in absolute silence from one tree to another. He lands on the tree that held the nest where Charles and his former mate, Virginia, had laid their eggs. Mark hasn't seen Virginia since Christmas Eve. He believes she died. A few months after her disappearance, Charles has a new mate, who Mark named Tess. So this is where several of Charles's mates, including most recently Virginia, has nested. And that's where Sophie nested successfully in the two years prior, and Charles just hooted into the nest. So him continuing to hoot into the nest is part of his way of showing this female that, hey, come check this out, keep this in mind. One of the interesting things about Tess is we have seen her not far from the nest. We've even seen her once or twice in that nest tree. And this is not the only nest tree. This one even closer to us uh, was used in six different years by one of Charles's mates, the amazing Sarah. But Tess so far has not gone into that hollow. But the fact that she is here with him and has been with him so consistently 
for several days now, never mind that they've been courting since the end of December, really indicates that yes, they are a pair. Mark, you have spent nearly two decades documenting Charles's life, um, coming here, and, and documenting the lives of the other great horned owls in Forest Park. What keeps you doing this work? It's one of the classic things. The more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. It's the true Socratic process. And there's just still so much I want to learn still so much that we don't know about this so widespread, so commonly found out species. And is it unique for you as a naturalist? You know, you're, you're doing a lot of scientific work and documentation, but I also get the sense that you care very deeply about Charles and his mates and the other owls. And honestly, the whole ecosystem is fo- of Forest Park. I mean, are you kind of personally drawn to the species as well as kind of like the emotional and scientific sides of what you're doing, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. Very much so, very much so. I mean, there's definitely the, okay, what's best for the owl? And hey, nature is a tough, unforgiving realm. And still, we care very deeply for these owls. And we're always hoping for positive outcomes and positive developments, and we know that doesn't happen. Three of Charles's mates have died. Two years ago, we had an owlet die for the first time. That was incredibly tough. So these things are not in separate drawers, but sometimes you do have to keep them a little separate, but they are very much part of the whole approach. So look at that huge bird flying over. That is a great blue heron that's the biggest bird we get in the park that bird stands four feet tall twice the size of great horned owl and great horned owls can eat them is charles relationship with other species in the park mostly just prey the 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 animals that live here not the people and dogs visiting (laughs) well the dogs visiting people need to keep their dogs leashed because it's the law two Great horned owls are known to eat small dogs, and that is not a, oh, they could maybe kind of, sort of, no, that does and can happen. They also eat domestic cats as well. So, yes, the, the downside of the great horned owls being apex predators is that they don't have a lot of friends. Over the years, what have you learned about great horned owls that surprised you the most, or maybe your favorite fact about them? One answer to both those questions, and there, there are many answers to both those questions, but one of them is the fact that they are apex predators. Um, it's, it's just something I never even imagined, that an owl could eat a raccoon or a great blue heron twice its size. And we've seen Charles and his mates go after these large animals, and these animals are terrified of the owls and the fact that oh wow this is a apex predator that lives right here in forest park is really special i did two owl prowls a few years ago with a carnivore keeper at the zoo and on our first owl prowl charles went for a great blue heron and he missed and the heron was screaming its head off and 
panic and fear. And this carnivore keeper literally works with polar bears, well, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, turned to me and said, that was one of the most intense moments of animal behavior I've ever seen in my life. And I said, wow, and thank you. And that's just part of the magic of great hornals. And just the flight you saw. I mean, if you see something cooler this week, this month, let me know, because it's got some serious competition. And I've had that happen thousands of times. I've had the owl's life one to three feet from me, and it doesn't get old. We've talked a lot about great horned owls being an apex predator, mm. but what are the biggest challenges to Charles, um, Tess, and the other great horned owls that live in Forest Park? The biggest challenge, my biggest concern with them are cars. Owls will fly very high over a lake, a field, and a road, and they will also fly very low over lake, field, and road. And lakes and fields are much less dangerous than roads. On Saturday, Charles was very high up in a tree, 40 to 60 feet, hooting away, and he dove down, crossed one of the park's roads, going maybe two to three feet over the road. And my biggest concern was and continues to be cars, because sometimes the owls seem to understand that, oh, car, let's avoid a car, and other times they don't. The massive eyes that they have are so large, and combined with the size of their eyes, they also have a bony ring around their eyes called the sclerotic ring. So between those two things, they have no peripheral vision. So when they're flying, they're just seeing what's ahead of them, or if they turn their head, and generally they don't move their head a whole lot when they fly. And I've had too many close calls seen with Charles and some of the other owls and with three of his mates that have died and they, they weren't hit by cars but we don't know for example with Virginia one possibility I can't ignore that she may have taken one of her brief breaks from the nest and was flying across the road and got just hit by a car and a, a glancing blow could be a mortal injury and so she may have been able to get back into the nest, but was so injured that she died. That's naturalist Mark Glenshaw speaking with producer Emily Woodbury at Forest Park earlier this spring. We need to take a short break. When we return, Charles starts his nightly hunt. Here comes Charles blazing right past us. Whoa. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. I'm Elaine Cha. This hour, we're following award-winning naturalist Mark Glenshaw on a nature walk through Forest Park. Producer Emily Woodbury joined him in late March to observe the habits of a great horned owl named Charles, who has lived in the park for at least 17 years. Around 7.45, the action begins. After a lot of stretching and grooming, and a maneuver Mark calls the fluff-up, Charles seems wide awake. We stay quick on our feet and keep our eyes peeled, because Charles is flying to new locations every few minutes, and it's harder to find him as it gets dark. Suddenly, Charles darts out over a pond. Here comes Charles, 
blazing right past us. Whoa. Unlike the smooth glide we saw earlier, his movement is erratic with sharp turns. He might be going for a bat. That very sharp turning flight and the warm weather we have tonight. I meant to mention this earlier that he might be ready to go hunting for bats. So kind of jumping out to your question earlier, they will, hey, what's out and about tonight? You know, what are your specials? You know, what's on sale? What's in abundance? And as, as far as bat attempts and their flights for bats, that was very fast, very intense, but that could be even more curvy and hovering and things like that. How has Charles changed your own life and your own perspective over the years? In ways that are too abundant to count, in just subtle little things to just paying more attention to what's happening in my yard, in my neighborhood, and paying more attention to the natural world. But also thinking more about how to connect myself to the natural world more and how to connect other people to the natural world more. If you had said to me 18 years ago, you're going to be mentoring people, I would have said, um, you know, we, we're worried about you. You know, we're concerned about your, your whatever you're taking or not taking. But to be someone that helps connect people to nature is one of the biggest changes that has come about from the owls and just studying wildlife in general. And as a Missouri Master Naturalist, we define a naturalist as someone who not only studies nature, but shares it with other people. And I could do this and not talk to you with a microphone or anyone, but I'd much rather share it with other people, infect them with that very happy germ. Also, one of the best things about an owl prowl is everything else. Here we are in this beautiful part of the park, and the park is so beautiful. And we've got, the sun has set, but we've got these beautiful lights and clouds. And there goes Charles again. Flying very low across the water. Oh, that seemed turn in the, and hover in the air. Yeah. He definitely just went for a bat. That hover and pause and turn in midair definitely went for a bat. That Whether, was a really tight maneuver. Yes. <laughs> Very impressive to <laughs> switch course so quickly. And they're not the most maneuverable bird of prey in flight, but they get the job done and then some. But everything else that we experience when we come out and see the owls is a huge attraction to them. And to me, an owl prowl is the opposite of how Mark Twain described golf. Twain described the game of golf as a nice walk ruined. And what I say about an owl prowl, bird walk, wildflower walk, nature walk of any color or stripe, it's a nice walk enhanced. I mean, when was the last time you saw Forest Park at this time of day in this part of the park? Never. And you know, we're looking at two geese in the water. There's um, one of the planets overhead. I'm not sure which planet that is. We just saw Charles change flight over the water. I mean, you're right. It's just, it's a gorgeous evening. I've never seen Forest Park like this. 
lovely. And that's one of my favorite takeaways from a prowl that, wow, I have a different understanding of the park and I want to increase this different understanding. Why do we know so little about great horned owls and how does your work here in Forest Park help inform that kind of greater community knowledge of the species? I may have said it slightly too strongly. There's a lot we do know about them, but there's still a lot we don't know about them. So definitely part of what I do and what my owl friends and mentees do with me is is adding to that knowledge. I mean, just for one thing, to study an individual like this for so long, I have not run across a comparable example in the scientific literature. There are two very good books written about 10 years apart uh, by two different biologists who each raised a young great horned owl to adulthood. And one of them, uh, Max Termon, in his amazing book, Messages from an Owl, followed that owl for many years, but eventually he needed to do other things. And... I think he was probably with that owl for seven to eight years and knew about it for another several years after that. But seeing mate replacement, in the scientific literature, it's stated that if you have a pair of great horn owls and one of them is no more, the survivor finds a new mate pretty quickly. But the literature also goes on to say, well, we don't know how that happens. Well, even before I saw Charles lose his first mate, the incredible Sarah, I thought, well, I have an idea of how this might happen. And what I've seen now with Charles get six new mates has very much matched that initial idea that I had. And to see him court with females and to see him just with Tess, he's courted with her, but has really seemed to kind of ignore and avoid these other females. is <laughs> amazing to add to that base of knowledge and to, I mean, I've never seen video footage of some of the things I've been able to see. What can we as community members, visitors to Forest Park, um, what can we do to make life easier, better for Charles and the other great horned owls that are here? One of the best things is to come out and see him and to really do what you're doing here to gain a whole different understanding and appreciation. It's amazing to hear about them and read about them, but to experience them with your own eyes and ears is definitely one of the best things you can do. Driving the speed limit is is also helpful because people cross the roads, whether it's us owl watchers or people on bikes. And the other really good thing to do is just remember that overall you're in the animal's home. You know, leash your dogs, pack up your trash, try and help the park where you can, become a member of Forest Park Forever, volunteer in the park, be someone that takes a lot from the park and we all do but it's so important to give back and whether it's financial or time or efforts or energies but be that positive impact on the park is one of the most important things
Walking out of Forest Park, I find myself appreciating it as I never have before. What presents as a bustling city park by day feels like a wild space in the dark of night. I look at the tree branches more carefully, keeping an eye out for a large vertical pinecone silhouette that signifies a great horned owl is perched there. I enjoy watching Mark's owl videos online, but seeing Charles the owl in person is an almost otherworldly experience, and it's one I plan to have again. As I drive out of the park, I reflect on Mark's advice. Observe the speed limit. It's a good reminder. How can I, how can all of us, make the park a safe and welcoming place for our feathered and non-feathered friends alike? And maybe some owlets come next spring. That's producer Emily Woodbury. She met up with naturalist Mark H.X. Glenshaw in Forest Park for a nature walk earlier this spring. Mark leads owl prowls, and if you're interested in joining him, you can send an email to mglenshaw at gmail.com. You can find a list of upcoming talks and events on his website, forestparkowls.blogspot.com. That's forestparkowls.blogspot.com. Com. There are upcoming events in Edwardsville, St. Louis, and Muscoota. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Audio editing by Emily Woodbury. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.